Well, hey everyone, and welcome to Jerry Talk, a podcast for modern caregivers, juggling work, home, family, kids, and finances, all while caring for an aging parent or loved one. I'm your host, Kelly Adams, a certified senior advisor and founder and CEO of Beyond Home Care. Each week, we talk to a senior care professional or caregivers just like you to help provide resources, tools, and support so you not only survive this season of caregiving, but thrive in it. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Justin Vines, who's a primary care physician and honestly a fantastic doctor. I don't say that lightly because I have really high standards for physicians, but I think you'll hear his passion for what he does and his commitment to patient care. Dr. Vines went to medical school at the University of Alabama in Birmingham and completed a residency in family medicine at the University of Alabama. He practices at Total Healthcare in Alexander City and is part of the Russell Medical staff. As a caregiver, the physician to your senior is an integral part of your care team. They're a resource, and you need to feel really comfortable and confident in their counsel. I think in this conversation, you're going to get an understanding of how the relationship with the care provider and caregiver should look. So hopefully, if you're not already benefiting from using your loved one's primary care physician as a resource, now you know that you should. Let's jump right in with my conversation with Dr. Vines. So thanks for for joining Jerry Talk. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself, whether it's professionally or personally or whatever you want to share. Okay. I am... Justin Vines. I'm a family medicine physician, and I am currently in practice in a small community here in Alabama, and I don't really know what else I want to say about myself. I would say, you put me, this is the one thing I hadn't prepared to do. <laughs> this is the one question myself. you know people are going to ask. I don't, I, I was not expecting to have to talk about myself. Yeah, I uh, happily married, have two children who definitely keep me grounded very much enjoy what I do. Good. What um, drew you to family medicine? I liked family medicine for a couple of different reasons. The main reason is that I really like the continuity of care that you get with family medicine. So the, the joke is that in family medicine, we see people from the womb to the tomb. You know, we see people throughout the course of their lives and you really get to develop a relationship with your patients more so than just, you know, this is my doctor. You learn about their families. You learn about, you know, what's going on in their lives and and how those things can impact a patient's health. And and so that was always very fascinating to me. And, And to a lesser extent, I enjoy family medicine because you never really know what's going to walk in the door. We get to do a little bit of everything and have to know about a little bit of everything, which kind of fits my sometimes all over the place mindset. So, I'm sure it means that you kind of have to constantly be educating yourself on what's new, what's different, because I think there's a kind of a, I don't want to say a misunderstanding, but there's definitely this perception that family medicine is cough and cold. And that's just not the case. Exactly. And and that is a perception that unfortunately we have to fight against. And, And my response to that is usually if you have a very serious illness and you have to go and see a doctor, 
almost everyone is going to see a family medicine doctor or an internal medicine doctor first. So my question to you would be, would you want that first doctor that could potentially figure out what's going on earlier and get you treatment? Would you rather that be the best slash smartest doctor that you see or the worst doctor that you see? And I think everyone would answer they'd rather that first doctor be really good at what they do so that they can get them the appropriate care that they need. And so I try to practice family medicine with that mindset of we are the first line and we can really make a difference in speed to appropriate treatment and offering those treatments and getting patients what they need. So again, I think that perception is changing as the medical landscape changes. You Mm -hmm. know, it's not to say that that subspecialists are not needed. Certainly that's not the case. And, And we appreciate them for what they do. But I think people are starting to realize that you are more than just the sum of your organs and you need a family medicine doctor to kind of take care of you as a whole patient rather than as some special organ system that we focus on. So, Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it, too, because it really brings a little bit more into perspective, you know, that you're focusing on the, the whole person uh, and you're kind of the gatekeeper. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, we we try to do as much as we can there to, to try to be convenient for people. But, you know, I think people appreciate that you know, we don't have too much ego or pride to say, hey, we can't do that here. Let's get you where you need to be. And and again, we're kind of knowledgeable about those resources. So for some patients, I tell them it's almost like, you know, if I, again, going back to those relationships that we form with patients, almost like having a quote unquote doctor in the family, because they can come in ask us our opinion on other medical things that, you know, are outside of our purview, you know, some of these subspecialist things that you have to do. And uh, we're able to provide our advice, even though we're not actually providing that service, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So in that same kind of vein, help us understand, you know, when do you go to the primary, when do you go to your primary care physician? Who should see a primary care physician? You know, what is, what is the role of primary care? Yeah, so that's that's a really good question. And I think my my obvious answer to who needs a primary care physician is everyone. Mm-hmm. But but really the role again of primary care is to keep you doing well and kind of manage your health throughout your life. You know, we don't necessarily just want to see you when you're sick. Of course, anytime you're sick, obviously it's time to go to the doctor and be seen, but particularly for our aging patients and our patients that have chronic health conditions, you know, I, I think I can speak for all family medicine physicians when we say we'd rather see you more frequently than less frequently just to catch things before they become major issues. You know, if we can catch something when it's a minor issue and correct it, we can avoid some of the fallout from letting that become a major issue. And so, you know, I always tell patients I don't want to be burdensome as far as, you know, I want to see you every two weeks and you got to come pay a copay and see me just for us to talk. But you know, a lot of times I don't like to go much longer than probably every three months for my patients that, again, have some of those chronic health conditions or, you know, have other issues that we need to discuss. And for a lot of patients, for instance, it, patients that are new to cancer treatment or have a new, you know, significant diagnosis of heart failure or, or something along those lines, I try to see those patients every month, at least for a period of time, because there's so many issues and questions that arise with those diagnoses that, you know, you may not even think to, to call and ask, but sometimes getting in front of the doctor, you kind of shakes those questions loose and you get some answers and we can address some things that may not get addressed otherwise. Yeah. And I think you make a good point because part of family medicine, in my perspective, is preventative care to catch it on the front end. 
Exactly. And that, that is the goal. You know, we, an, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So anytime that we can prevent a serious event in the future, we count that as a win. So again, a lot of these issues that, that do come up in family medicine and in medicine in general, there are some warning signs or some, some things that we can see before it gets to that point that we can address. Now we can't do that with everything, right. but anytime we can, we can kind of control those factors and, and mitigate those risks before they, before they cause issues. We, we love that. Yeah. So our, our audience that's listening to Jerry talk, you know, they're family caregivers. They're dealing with most of them, a, an aging parent, somebody who is balancing life and that, um, that aging loved one. So from, from their perspective, you know, what are some things that the caregiver really needs to understand about that relationship with the family medicine doctor? So first thing I would like to say is that the, the family caregiver is probably one of the most difficult jobs in the world. You know, the, yes. the, the stress that those caregivers are under, commend them for, for having the, the patience and the ability to do that. But as far as things that, that they need to know about what we do as family medicine physicians and what they can do to help themselves be more effective caregivers, there's a couple of things. The, the first thing I would say is that your your family medicine doctor and, and all of your doctors, but specifically that family medicine doctor, is again a resource for advice. You know, we're not just a medical knowledge, we're gonna treat this medical issue. We also are, you know, concerned about mom might have to go into the nursing home. What do you think about that? What are our options? What does that look like? And because we are part of the healthcare field, you know, even if it's not directly related to some medicine we can provide or some procedure we can perform, just having someone that's that's kind of knowledgeable about those aspects of medicine that you can sit down and have an honest conversation with from from someone that's a, a third party. You know, anytime that you're discussing these very sensitive, very difficult matters about your family, it's really hard to have those conversations with other family members or mm -hmm. other friends because everyone may or may not have kind of a stake in, in what happens. So sometimes as family medicine physicians, we really try to take the role of the impartial observer and kind of provide enough information for you to make an informed decision as the caregiver, but, but try to provide kind of information about both sides of the issue or, or what we can do to, you know, try to help make your decision-making process better. You know, the, the other thing that I would say about about what caregivers need to know about family medicine is that it's okay to call and and talk or or let us know something even if the your your you know the person that you're caring for isn't there you know we some people seem kind of concerned by you know I don't really want to upset them by letting them call in or talking about you know my mom or my dad when they're not here but that actually helps us kind of know the real picture because it's hard to talk about hey she's getting her dementia is getting worse in front of your your mother or your aunt or whoever it may be that you're taking care of that's a difficult conversation to have with them in the room or they're concerned about them driving still or you know yes yes any of those kind of sensitive concerns it's okay to to kind of let us know that without you know, without coming in with, with the person that you're caring for. Yeah. So I guess my overall point would be that, the, especially a family medicine physician, again, because of that relationship that we form, we're a resource for the caregiver as much as for 
the person receiving care. You know that we're we're there for you, and I think I can again speak for family medicine physicians when we see the struggles that you go through, and we want to help in any way that we can. Again, not just providing medicine or medical care for the person that you're caring for. Yeah, I like that. I think that you know one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on was to kind of demystify our roles with our physicians. Sometimes I feel like people don't want to ask questions or they don't want to impose or, you know, they put their physicians on pedestals and not that we should not. I mean, you guys went through a lot of school and you are incredibly intelligent people, but at the same time, you are people. And especially as a family medicine physician, you're part of the care team. And so I want, especially I want my clients to understand that that you're a trusted ally and they should find a physician that they feel that comfortable with, that that partnership is really important. Yes, I think that's that's a fantastic point. And I think that word is kind of the word that I want to emphasize there is it is a partnership. You know, it's not my job as a physician to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. That that's not what physicians should do. That's a very you know patronizing way to be. My job as a physician is to provide you with the knowledge and expertise that I have you know gained through experience and through school and everything else, so that you can make an informed decision about what needs to happen. You know, ultimately, it's it's you know the patient, or in the case of a patient that's not capable of of making those decisions, the caregivers responsibility and, and it's their health and, and they're, they're the one that's going to have to make that decision and, and live with that decision. So it's, you know, I, I take my role very seriously in that I try not to say this is what you should do, but it is a partnership where I bring that level of, of knowledge or expertise so that, you know, with, with the patient or the caregiver's knowledge of what their life circumstances are like and what their beliefs are, we can make a a decision that is going to be satisfactory. Yeah. And we talk on this show a lot about, you know, knowledge is power and we want to gain as much information as possible so we can make educated decisions. It's not that we have to act on every single thing or it's not that, you know, there's a right or wrong answer, but, but having all of the information, not tiptoeing around these sensitive topics, although, you know, some of them are sad, you know, we've talked about that Mm -hmm. before. Some of these topics are sad, but let's not pretend that they don't happen. Let's not pretend that they don't affect us or they affect the person that we love. Um, I think it's important to, you know, to just be honest and have all the information that you need. And so that partnership is, is really crucial. I agree. And a phrase that that gets used in medicine sometimes is you prepare for the worst, but you hope for the best. You know, Mm -hmm. you can you can be prepared and kind of discuss these these sad or, you know, outcomes that we certainly don't want to have while still, you know, hoping and and, and praying that that there's going to be a a better outcome that comes because there are. I mean, we we don't always have the worst outcome, but for sure, it's one of those things where you want that knowledge of what's the realistic possibility of this outcome so that you can be prepared and you can kind of know what it's going to look like. And so, again, I I agree. I think that's a great line. Knowledge is power in everything, but particularly in in medicine and and care of our aging population, because we're learning more and more, you know, with the with the change in the demographics of the United States, there's actually been just a boom of 
research and, and medical studies that have started to take place in the aging population just because there's there's more of a, an, an aging population now than there has ever been in the United States. And so there's new information coming out seemingly every week on, on what the best practices are and what the guidelines are. So, you know, we have to work to stay abreast of those things. And, and you know, that that's our job to disseminate that information to the people that need it. Yeah. And I, I think that for a lot of caregivers, that can be really overwhelming with all of that new information that's out. But, you know, again, utilizing your resources and that partnership with that physician, find somebody who you feel really comfortable with, who mom and dad feel really comfortable with, and that you can ask those tough questions to or, you know, see, hey, I just saw that there's this medicine, medicine that has a whatever warning that's going on an infomercial right now. Is this real? Is it not? Yeah, we get those a lot, and, that, yeah. and that's okay. That's, that's you know we have more we have access now to more information than we've ever had in the history of the world, and medicine is having has had to adapt to that just like every other aspect of our life has had to adapt to that. So it's an evolving process of you know managing all the act because I can get on you know you can get on the internet and you can find pretty much a website to agree with anything that you think, oh, yeah. whether that's right, wrong, or crazy, you can find somebody that says, yep, that's the right way to think. So helping wade through that information, you know, again, that there's so much there, getting that useful information out of that. That's where I think having that partnership come together and asking those questions and, and not being afraid to ask those questions. Right. We as physicians have to foster a an environment where it's okay to come in and ask questions or things that you might seemingly think are silly because they're not. I mean, if it, if it's something concerning, that's what we're there to address. You know, when when we're with our patients, our time is for you as the patient or the caregiver. So we have to do a better job of of fostering that relationship and fostering that environment where people feel comfortable doing that. Yeah, I feel like you have two kind of sets of patients, those who don't come in unless they're like on their deathbed, and then those who come in with just a sneeze, you know. So help us understand, you know, like, when should we be coming to the doctor? When should we be calling to talk to the nurse? When, what are some good kind of rules of thumb when it comes to that? Or are there? So yeah, that that is, that's a, a really tough question. It's a, it's a broad question. There's a lot of different answers, you know, depending, my, my, my thought is always, if you're worried or you are concerned, you know, everyone has different comfort levels with, right. with different diseases. So I would rather you come in, even if it turns out to be a visit that, you know, we don't really have much to do other than reassure. I'd rather you come in and let us see you than not, because there's no need to live with fear. Or, you know, our, our job as physicians is to take care of people and we're there to take care. So if, if, if you need to come in, we're there to see you. Um, I tell people I'd much, much rather you come in and see you and not need to have seen you than you sit at home thinking you're going to inconvenience me and need to be seen right. and not come in right. and something bad happen. So it's it's a hard one to give a, a hard and fast rule of thumb. I would say that the broadly, just in general, and this is this is speaking, I guess, for for more of the elderly population. Anytime we have a change in mental status, mm-hmm. even if it's a little bit of you know, yeah, dad's a little more confused than he usually is. That's something that always perks our ears up as physicians, and probably needs to be addressed with some lab work and kind of a more detailed physical and history in person. Of course, anytime we're running fever, anytime we have 
you know, changes in breathing. I mean, again, some of these are pretty obvious things, but it's hard to say specifically. These are the the things that I I would say that probably the change in mental status is the one that I feel like people try to ride out a little long sometimes, especially if they're, they're caring for a person who has dementia already. But if we have a baseline level of dementia and then, you know, over the course of a day or two, we get drastically worse. That's not a normal progression for dementia. And we need to see that. So I'd say of all the things, that's probably the one where I wish sometimes people would come in and see us sooner is if there's a change in mental status. And you can always call, right? I mean, you can always call and leave a message or talk to a nurse. Absolutely. And our nurses do a really good job. They work with us every day. They know pretty much how we tend to handle lots of different situations. So they are a really invaluable resource. And yes, you can call them anytime. And and again, if they're not sure, they can get in touch with us quickly and kind of synthesize the information if you're worried about oh i don't want to inconvenience the doctor you know call the nurse let them know and then they can give it to us in kind of a two-liner and we can decide what we need to do the other option too is that i guess speaking personally from my practice but i feel most practices are are moving towards something where this is a a possibility is a patient portal or a, a direct kind of communication system with the physician which is where you can get that set up on your computer or your phone and you can email your physician directly through the medical record. And so if you have kind of complicated questions that you don't want to play the telephone game, getting through the office staff back to the physician, you can send those questions directly to the physician and and we can reply directly back to you through that secure patient portal. So that's kind of a newer thing, maybe not as many people know about. But it's a really valuable resource. Most of the time, too, you can see all your labs or imaging studies mm-hmm. or, you know, you medication lists and that kind of thing. You can ask for refills. Yeah. So that's another resource, too, that, that again, with the development of new technology is, is something that we're still trying to learn how to integrate that more effectively. Yeah, I think that's good. So let's go a little deep into some of the more chronic diseases, illnesses that we see in the aging, you know, we know just from data, some of the the highest bounce back rates back into the hospital, you know, congestive heart failure, COPD, you know, those kind of things. But help us understand, you know, what are some big ones that we as caregivers need to kind of be cognizant of if our aging loved one has one of these diseases? And, you know, what are really important things with each one? How can and I guess too, you know, how can we educate ourselves? Sure, sure. There are there so there are a couple of things that that I want to talk about here. One would be kind of a focus on the broad issues that affect pretty much anyone that has chronic conditions and and talk about some of the things that we can do for those more or less universal issues. And then then we can kind of get down into the weeds a little more on each of the the individual diseases, but okay. the 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 first couple that I'd like to talk about. The first one is falls. So we all know that that falls, particularly in patients that have osteoporosis or have you know other significant health conditions, are going to be bad news. You know, uh, uh, in fact, a, a broken hip is a sentinel event for you know death within the next six months to a year. So, you know, we have to be really, really mindful of what we can do to reduce those risks. And there's a couple of simple things that you can do at home just to try to avoid 
that fall risk or reduce that fall risk. And it's really as simple as get rid of any rugs, any cords, any end tables that are in the way of kind of the common paths through the house. So moving between the common areas in the house needs to be as wide and flat as possible. Whatever we can do to get out of the way, we got to do that to try to to try to open up those spaces. Well, and I even tell my clients that, you know, some of the best of us can still catch our our foot on a rug, you know? Exactly. And and that's I think the point is that it's not that you have to be unsteady on your feet. It's that as we age and as as we injure ourselves or get sick, that progression is very different on an older person than it is on a young thirty year old or a healthy thirty year old, I guess. Exactly. When we're when we're when we're younger, we have lots of reserve or, or physical reserve, as we call it. So you get sick and you've got plenty of reserve you can pull from. That's why we see kids that you know get the flu or get the stomach bug and then they're back at it 100% the next day and you know even as parents we think my goodness how are they able to do that well they have more reserve than we do and and then you think you know you consistently lose that reserve unfortunately over the course of your life and so then something as simple as a fall where you get a bruise on your butt or you hit your arm i mean that's a that can be a pretty debilitating thing as sure. your body has to kind of devote all of its extra energy to getting that better so, yeah, anything we can do in it in its simple things, you know, if you need to put a handrail in the bathroom, that's okay. If you need a, a bedside commode so you don't have to get up and walk at night, let us know. That It's one of those where make sure we're doing everything we can to try to widen those common spaces and make it so that there's as few hindrances as possible. I like that. I recently assessed a client. And was trying to understand how she was getting up and down from the toilet. And mainly because she was having some transfer problems. And, and she starts to go into this whole thing about how she has to put her elbow on on this, on the counter. And then she has to like scoot. And, and I started thinking, we have just increased the probability for you to injure yourself by like a thousand percent. We really just need a raised toilet seat with, with handrails. And those exactly. are so cheap and easy to get, and that dramatically decreases the risk for an injury. Yes, and, and I think that's something, again, where we don't necessarily, we kind of take it for granted, I think, sometimes. Yeah. So sometimes it helps to kind of step back and say, well, how are you doing, like, like you did in this situation? How are you getting up from the toilet? How are you getting to your bedroom? Or what's the process for you to go get something to eat in the morning when you're hungry? Mm-hmm. And, and realizing, you know, well, I've got to climb on this step stool to get up to this top shelf in my kitchen to get my cereal or, you know, crazy things like that can kind of jump off the page. And, and they're really easy fixes sometimes. So just thinking about that process of, you don't have the same reflexes you had when you were younger. You don't have the same ability to recover from a stumble. So what are the literally the stumbling blocks that, that are keeping us from, from reducing our fall risk? Falls, big thing. Another thing that we see often are, are dietary issues, whether that be we want to lose weight, we want to gain weight, we have a special diet that we need to be on because of our heart failure or our, we're on dialysis. You know, there's there's lots of different diet related issues. And so I, I don't want to go into the details of every single diet and what has to happen. I just wanted to focus on a few things. One is oftentimes as we age, we lose weight. You know, you'll 
people worry. That's one of the most common issues I see is, is people come in and they're worried because, you know, mom or dad is losing weight. And sometimes, you know, we, we get into that conversation and we're still trying to eat a, and this is going to sound bad as a physician saying this, but we're trying to eat a quote unquote healthy diet still, you know, and as we're losing weight. And so I, I sometimes we, we have the conversation of it's okay to not eat as healthy. You know, mm. we don't want to eat just junk all the time, but you know, if you want some ice cream before bed, go for it. You know, it's okay to have those extra calories that you get from things that you really enjoy if we're worried about losing weight. And so having that kind of change of mindset of it's okay to, to kind of relax some of those dietary restrictions right. at some point is, is a I guess an interesting conversation to have, and I probably shouldn't be saying that because I'm gonna people are gonna have all sorts of crazy blood sugars and everything else. But, but it's one of those things where it it's okay to to not follow the rules to the T. Again, that's where it helps having someone you can talk to, a physician, to say, yeah, that's okay. We can we can back off of that a little. Yeah, well, and some of it's quality of life. Exactly. And I think that's you know, my grandmother is ninety. She'll be ninety three next month. And every time I see her, she asks me for a milkshake, but she's borderline diabetic. And my mother says, don't you dare bring her a milkshake. And I'm thinking, let the 93-year-old lady have a milkshake. Like, I I mean, and I'm sure my mom's going to hear this and give me hell about it. But uh, (laughs) but at the same time, you know, I mean, I can think of as, especially, you know, myself, I have a sweet tooth. And so, I mean, if I get... To be in the ripe old age in my 90s, I had better be able to have my chocolate. And the thing is, too, you have to think, you know, if you are, for instance, for, for me or for you, if we get a craving for something, we get up and go to the store and get it. Well, your 93-year-old grandmother probably doesn't have that capability to do that. So they just kind of have to sit there craving whatever this thing is and, you know, really with no ability to, to satisfy that craving. So, yeah, that that's the whole gist of it is, you know, we don't want to go – hog wild and just eat whatever, whenever, if we need to be on a renal diet or we need to be, you know, controlling our fluid intake because of heart failure. But at the same time, you know, we want to let people enjoy the things that they enjoy, just like we do, you know, that we don't, we don't sacrifice quality of life for, for quantity of life. Yeah. And I think the other point that to help bring this home for you so that you don't get a whole bunch of crazy calls is (laughs) that we're also talking about seniors. We're talking about, you know, 65 plus too. So if you're, if you're, you know, 40 and you're supposed to be on a diabetic diet, let's not go crazy. (laughs) You know, don't go crazy. And again, even if you are, there are going to be times. I mean, that's, I guess this is not something I necessarily intended to talk about, but you know, (laughs) if, if you are 40 and you do have that kind of cheat day or whatever, it's okay to, to tell your doctor that, you know, yes, as, as doctors, we're not there. I try to tell patients, I'm not here to pass judgment. I'm not here to tell you what's right and wrong. So I always, you know, for instance, the big things are diet. You know, if someone's not following a diet, it's okay to tell me. I'm not going to fuss about you not following your diet. I just need to know. Because you're also going to run an A1C and be able to tell. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Smoking, (laughs) you know, quitting smoking. People sometimes, you know, I've had patients not come back to see me because they were afraid that I was going to be mad because they were still smoking, which kind of defeats the whole purpose. Yeah. And the other one is, is medication, I guess that's a little bit of a a segue, but you know, if you're not taking medication or you're not able to get medication, you know, it's way, way better to tell me than to 
say that you are or kind of imply that you're still taking it because then we could end up adding medicines that you don't need. And if you take them all for whatever reason, then it can cause its own problems. So yeah, please be honest with your physician. We're here, we're here to help and, and not to pass judgment. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. And, and I guess with that being said, medication, that's kind of the big looming thing that I would say as far as with the senior population, the number one source of issues, probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest reason for readmissions to the hospital mm-hmm. is is medication issues. So it's just really important to, to keep a, a current list of what, what you're taking or what your, your person you're caring for is taking, you know we make lots of changes and sometimes we tell you, you know, we're going to make three or four medicine changes during an office visit. And if we don't write that down or you don't write that down, then it gets hard to remember. I mean, I can't remember all those things when I go home at the end of the day. So mm-hmm. keeping, keeping a, a record of that, I, I think there's, there's three things that every caregiver needs to have to be as you know, help them be a successful caregiver. Three objects. One is a seven-day pill planner or a fourteen-day pill planner, just to put those pills in, so we can make sure we're taking medicine when we're supposed to, and not taking more than we're supposed to. A good notebook to be able to bring back and forth to the doctor's office and write things down at home and store important documents in. That's probably one of the things that when I see someone come in and they've got a notebook that's got everything written down, that makes me feel better because I know that we're staying on top of all these little things that happen throughout the course of the disease. So that's the second thing. The third thing is a reliable scale. Um, <laughs> we, we talked about you know weight loss, but having a reliable scale is good to have just to keep up with weight. You know, if you're sick, you're going to lose weight. If you have heart failure, for instance, and you are retaining a lot of fluid, you're going to gain a lot of weight. So having that reliable scale that we can kind of, you know, again, if you call the nurse or call me and I say, hey, what's what's the weight been over the last week or so? You know, if you can give me reliable numbers, that helps. And that's one of those I don't think people think about having necessarily, but, but it's a good one to have at home. The other would be a blood pressure cuff that you trust. So I said three and then I gave you four, but... (laughs) Um, a, a blood pressure cuff at home would be another good one to have because, again, that's one of those questions we like to ask. And it's good to know that we've got a reliable number coming. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's kind of my, my rundown of the main things. The only other thing so, I'll say about medication is be careful about over-the-counter meds. Just because it's over-the-counter doesn't mean that it's safe. Mm-hmm. So, you know, make sure you're talking. Again, that's where call us, ask us, and let us let us tell you the, some more information about some of these over-the-counter meds because they can do everything from urinary retention to uncontrolled bleeding to you know acute confusion with simple medicines that we all take over-the-counter. So make sure that we're, and this is in this, the senior population, make sure that you're, you're letting us know if we're going to be taking over-the-counter meds so that we can help with those decisions. Yeah, and they're definitely medications that you know interact even with some foods. So and that's where having that relationship helps so that we can kind of hopefully preempt some of those questions by saying, okay, if you're taking warfarin, you know, you eat green leafy be- vegetables, it's going to change how thin your blood is. And, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of talking about some of those things. Yeah, good. So most of what we've talked about is from an outpatient standpoint, seeing your physician in the office, you know, on a regular basis kind of a thing. But especially being in a rural area. I know that there are times when you cover the hospital and you may 
you know, deal with a sicker patient. So not talking about that as much, but as from a transitional care point, you know, when somebody discharges from the hospital, what are some really good things for a caregiver to think about? Because this, this tends to be the area where, you know, somebody's gotten sick, somebody's gotten hurt, and there's a lot of chaos and overwhelm for a caregiver. Yes, I agree. And I think that's a really excellent area to focus on and, and a really good question because that's that's kind of where the rubber meets the road and where we see, unfortunately, a lot of people have a lot of issues is that transition from the acute care in the hospital to outpatient care. And so my yeah. my biggest, I guess my biggest thoughts there would be, number one, make sure you have that good notebook that we talked about with you at the hospital so that you can take notes. Because when you're in the hospital, for instance, even if you are at our small rural hospital here, you will see the hospitalist, you will see the hospitalist nurse practitioner, you'll see any specialist, which typically if you're in the hospital, you can almost count on you know, at least one, maybe two specialists coming in. You've got the nurses coming in. You've got social work coming in if you're Mm -hmm. going to be going to a rehab facility. And so that is a ton of information from a lot of different sources. So if if you can have someone there, of course, you don't necessarily have to be there all the time with your your parent. But if you can have someone there that can just write those, Dr. So-and-so said this Mm -hmm. today and and, and keep a kind of running log of that. It really, and this is coming from my experience on that side of, of medicine too, not as a physician, but as a family member, even I get confused with those. Exactly. So writing that down really helps kind of keep that information current. And then, you know, when you come to see me in clinic and as an outpatient the next week, you won't have to try to remember, well, I can't remember exactly what Dr. So-and-so my heart doctor said, but it was something about this. You've got it written down and we can go find that. It makes, it streamlines that whole process and makes sure nothing really falls through the cracks as much. Yeah, that's. Yeah. The, the other thing would be, again, some kind of rehashing some of the same issues is make sure you get the medication list, list and ask questions before you leave the hospital because most of the time when you go in the hospital, there's going to be some medication changes or you'll have a medication that you've got to take when you leave the hospital mm-hmm. that you weren't taking before. And and so use that time to ask questions. Again, I, I, it, I'm speaking for physicians and I'm going to kind of reprimand physicians too. We're here to answer questions. We don't need to be rushing anybody out the door. So don't leave until you're satisfied you understand what you're supposed to be doing with your medicine or with your parents medicine from the hospital because you know we have people sometimes that are taking double the dose of the medicine that they're supposed to they're not taking essential medicines that they should have been taking and it's just because of communication errors as they as they come out of the hospital so you know use that I guess, assertive voice that we all should have inside to make sure that you're getting those questions answered before you leave, because that's, that's really a key area that you don't want to be confused on that. That that's the one thing I think when people get home, sometimes you don't realize that you don't really know you get home and then, okay, well, I got to fix up mom's medicine for the next week. And I don't remember what the doctor said. And you don't really have a resource for how to do that. Yeah. I think too, and this is just speaking straight to the caregiver, you know, you are your senior's advocate. In a lot of these situations, your elderly parents or your aging loved one or whoever it is cannot advocate for themselves. And so you have got to be their advocate. If something does not sit right, if something does not sound right, if you're confused, there's nothing wrong with saying, okay, 
can you just dumb this down for me and explain it like I'm a five-year-old? You know, we have to understand exactly. these things. And and I, I think that it's really important that that you understand your role and you feel empowered by that because you are their advocate. You're the only one. If, you know, I, I remember recently my grandmother was in the hospital not too long ago and she was actually in a rehab and they, the therapists were fussing because she wouldn't do her physical therapy. And I just happened to be there that day. And I said, you know, she's a very compliant patient. So this is out of character. This is not normal. And it made them stop and think, okay. So then they got, you know, physician to come and check and ended up she had pneumonia. And yeah. we had no idea. But understanding that, you know, those slight changes, she couldn't communicate that. But I knew, you know, as being her granddaughter, that she's always compliant. She does exactly, she thinks that, you know, if you tell her that this is what she's supposed to do, she's going to do it. Right, right. And so you have to advocate for your patient. And I think really that that's kind of circles all the way back to what we were talking that, about really at the beginning of, you know, physicians and hospital staff are humans just like everyone else yes. and we're people. And I'm no more or less important than you are or then the person who cleans the hospital room, everybody there is is part of the team to take care of the patients that are there in the hospital. And and you are, again, like you said, as a caregiver, you are that loved one's advocate. So, I mean, advocate that, you know, even if you've got to confront because people make mistakes, right. physicians make mistakes, nurses make mistakes, you know, everybody makes mistakes and, and people don't necessarily, you know, everybody's worked a job and you know, people try to get off a shift and they don't want to pay attention to things the way they're supposed to. I and mean, we don't like to talk about those things, but it happens. And and so making sure that you are 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 advocating and, and not letting things slide, as, I, as I'd say, I think is exceedingly important. And again, nobody knows that person better than you. And so even simple things, again, like you just mentioned with your grandmother, I mean, those are valuable things. And we see those kind of things happen all the yeah. time, you know. We don't. We don't want to ever be too big to say, "Oh, well, you know, we're we're going to uh, ignore that concern that you have," and you know that's not right. I mean, that's not how a physician should be. Should be. So yes. Well, and I think the point. other part of that is that there's a there's a respectful way to advocate for your loved one, <laughs> and then is. there's a really jerk way to do it. You know. So yes. let's just remember that. You know, you get what is the saying? You get more bees with honey than vinegar or flies or whatever. You catch more flies with honey. Yeah. Yes. So uh, let's be respectful. I mean, I, you know, my husband is a physician, so I feel like I can say this because I get that side of it too. <laughs> you know, you're definitely going to get a better response from any of your medical team. If you're respectful and if you're kind, if you start cursing someone or, you know, immediately throw somebody under the bus as human beings, we become defensive, and um, and that's just a human reaction. And and so, just remembering that these people are human, just like you, right? You know, you'll get the you'll get a better response. I'm not saying that you don't have to advocate because of that. I'm just saying that you need to think about your communication tactics. Right, I agree. And and again, to you know, there are physicians that can certainly communicate better as well. Oh, but for sure. I, I think I think the thing that I would I would like for everyone to remember as physicians and, and, you know, caregivers included is we're all on the same team. Nobody is an adversary. You know, everybody wants 
you know, this person that we're caring for to get better and to be healthy and to get whatever quality of, you know, good quality of life that we can. So sometimes we may have different ideas of what that looks like, or sometimes we may have different ideas of what we need to do to get there. And it's those different spots where we kind of have to step back from both sides of the the conversation and say, okay, this person's coming from a place of love and caring for this person. I'm coming from a place of love and caring for this person. So what can we do to kind of resolve these differences of opinion that we have to make sure that we're doing what we can to to better the goals that, that this person would have wanted for themselves had they been able to make this decision. Yeah, I think that's good. Awesome. This has been great information. Is there anything else that you feel like is important to talk about that we have, you know, we've missed? I feel like we've really covered some things that I would like to sometimes be able to tell people yeah. and, and haven't really had the, the platform to do it. So I just appreciate you having me here to discuss that. And again, I think if I boiled my whole message down to everything, it's communicate and be open in communication. And, you know, everything works better when we can kind of communicate respectfully and, and all know where everyone else stands so that we can all work towards this same goal, which is helping people be better and healthier. So Awesome. Yeah. We want to let everybody know what the real what the real value is there. So awesome. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Vines. Like I said in the intro, the relationship that you as the caregiver have with your aging loved one's primary care physician is so important, not just for your aging senior, but honestly for you as their caregiver. You know, there's often where we need guidance and advice on medical situations that come up And we need to feel really comfortable reaching out to professionals in our care team. Sometimes it's just nice to hear that you're asking the right questions and to get reassurance that you've done everything you're supposed to. Remember that you're your loved one's advocate. So speak up when you need to. Thanks for joining us this week and every week on Jerry Talk. Subscribe to Jerry Talk wherever you listen to podcasts and take a moment to rate and review us especially on Apple Podcasts, to help other caregivers find this resource. If you had feedback, questions, or topics that you'd like us to cover on the program, send me an email at info at jerrycare, that's jerry with a J, dot com. Join us next week for another great episode. Until then, have a great week.